This is the Business Processes Simplified podcast, and I am your host, David Jennings. In a moment, you'll learn all about our guest, Steve Wilkinghoff. This episode was taken from the Business System Summit, so you'll actually get his full bio there. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a flavor of what to expect on this episode. Steve is a little bit of a financial wizard, and he'll be sharing his system for how to uncover hidden money in your business. Now, who doesn't want hidden money? It's a four-step process, and it's when you think about it, it's actually quite clear and simple on what needs to be done. You just need to know your target numbers. What is it that you're going after? Then you identify the correct path or the path that you think is most correct to get there. You need to measure yourself as you go and just continually loop back to your target numbers to make sure that you stay the course. It's a nice little smart, intuitive system that you could frequently use and become a recurring part of your business. It falls into your financial department. And if you're familiar with the way that I look at business, I always think about business in terms of the different departments. So sales, marketing, HR, finance, and then underneath each of those departments, there's always a handful or a collection of systems that really drive most of the results within that department. This is a system that would fall squarely into the financial department. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about the way that I look at business, particularly around the idea of systemization, that's where I'm most passionate and where I've done some of my best work. I've got a new book coming out. Depending on when you're listening to this, it may or may not be out. It's called Systemology. Um, The tagline is create time, reduce errors, and scale your profits with proven business systems. Now, who wouldn't want that? Just head over to systemology.com forward slash book. That's systemology.com forward slash book. And then you can go ahead and find out some details about that. Now, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Steve Wilkinghoff. Now, I've been looking forward to this call for a number of different reasons. Firstly, we've got a a mutual good friend in Eric Putnam, and he just raves about Steve. And we had a brief chat just before he was on a, a trip, and it's very clear that he's a systems guy, so much so that way back when he even had Michael Gerber write the foreword for his book, Found Money, Simple Strategies to Uncover the Hidden Profit and Cash Flow in Your Business. And I think the title pretty much captures what he does best. He's a master at helping small businesses unlock and leverage hidden financial performance. And clearly, with over 25 years worth of experience working with thousands of different businesses, he's developed some very unique processes and tools and software. So I'm very much looking forward to this session. So it's with great pleasure that I get to welcome Steve to the summit. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me here. Pleasure. So I know we've got a lot to cover and the system you're going to share is all about how to discover hidden money in your business. So I thought as a great way to start, I always like people to share some of the, the challenges that you see this particular system solve for business owners. And then, yeah, let's dive into it and go through it step by step. Yeah, sure. Well, the uh, biggest challenge it, it helps business owners with is, you know, traditionally when it comes to financial results, 
business owners will, will try a, a series of things from marketing to performance to trying different advertising things and then measuring it on the financial, measuring the financial results at the end of it. And this essentially tries to systematize creating a financial result. And by that, I mean kind of starting from the bottom up and saying, okay, what do I actually need to manufacture really a financial result? You know, and, and that gets into one of the biggest things is maximizing the value of my existing customers. You know, new customers are great, but almost every business owner I ever talked to knows they could do more with their existing customers, but they're just not really sure how. And, and because there's no, you know, it's hard to have a system around that if you don't do it all the time. I've had the luxury of seeing a bunch of businesses and figuring out a good way to do a system like that. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, let's take us through the process. What's, how does this work? What's step one? Well, step one is really figuring out what financial performance you want from the business. And I know that sounds really, really simple, but most business owners don't actually have a target for their financial results. They have revenue targets, they have revenue growth targets, which are part of the equation, but for the small and mid-sized customers or business owners where I deal, really the business is your life. It's the engine for sending your kids to school, paying your mortgage, living the life you want. And I'm shocked how many business owners don't know how much their business has to produce for them to do that. And starting from the bottom up, step one is knowing that number. You know, if, if business owner A needs $100,000 a year, it's not good or bad. That is what it is. If business owner B needs, needs $500,000 a year for their business to produce for them, not revenue, then they have an entirely different trajectory and a different set of, of decisions they have to make. But they need to know that at the outset. Too many times they both have the same idea that, oh, I want to grow revenue to X. And, you know, they just don't get where they need to. So this is the business owner's job to get clear on, okay, well, what is it that this business needs to be delivering for me personally? And I'm assuming this is in a spreadsheet and, you know, starting off by thinking about, you know, your cost of living and all those sorts of things. It is. Yeah. And, and so th those are parts of it. I, I call it, you know, in the book, I refer to it as your dream lifestyle. And, you know, the business owners really have to think of how does my business serve me my dream lifestyle, you know, right down to how much do I want to work in the business? What work do I want to do? How much money do I want and how much time do I want to contribute to community efforts, volunteer efforts, charitable efforts, those kind of things. And then you start to put some numbers around it. So it sounds a little bit about like budgeting, but it's, it's actually a little bit more than that. You know, if I want a business that lets me only work three days a week and pays me $200,000 a year, then I have to make some decisions. I'm going to have to hire a general manager, someone to actually grow that business and drive it because I, I may not be able to do that with three days a week. So my overhead structure will be different than the other business owner who's quite happy working 40 or 50 hours a week. So defining that dream lifestyle really hinges everything. So you can have two businesses that, you know, pictures two sets of profit and loss statements right next to each other. They can have the identical numbers on them and neither of those businesses are actually serving the dream lifestyle of the owner. Yeah. So you really have to get underneath that and actually define it at that level first. Yeah, it definitely seems an area that a lot of people miss. It makes perfect sense to get very clear on, on the outcome and then you can start to engineer from then. Is there any extra components you want to mention for this step or it's then once you're clear on that, it's, it's a matter of moving to the next yeah, once you get clear on this, I mean, I, I tell people, you know, figure out how much money you need to do the things you want outside of work, 
as well as how much money your business needs to to provide you that time component. Yeah. You know, so like I say, maybe you have to add overhead to your business because you need to hire somebody, maybe not right away, but if you're talking about targets, you know, a year from now, you might need a general manager. You know, I think you do that at one point in one of your companies where you just yeah. needed to hire that. So if you built that into your overhead, that was a decision you had to make. And then from there, you move on to step two, which is now you have the target that you can reverse engineer the components of your performance and figure out what your best path is to get to that target. Yeah. And how does that work? Is that a case of thinking about where you are, where you want to get to and in stages or more, okay, this is what the end picture looks like. What do the pieces look like in the end picture? It's so the end picture is about, you know, the dream lifestyle and how much money does your business have to produce? That's the end result. And then between where you are now, I mean, any financial result you're getting in your business is just a combination of the customers you have, how often you sell to them and what you sell to them. You know, anything on your financial statement is, you know, whether it's your employees you have, whether it's your overhead, whether it's are, are all related to those three things. So really those are just building blocks in a way. And every business has a certain metric. They have a certain number of customers who buy a certain number of times and they buy on average a certain amount each time and they make a certain amount of money each time they do that. And the job of the business owner then is saying, okay, knowing what I'm doing now around those metrics, and here's my dream lifestyle goal, and here's how much my business needs to produce for me, here's all the different ways I can reassemble those building blocks to give me that financial performance. And it's going to be a little different for some businesses. Some people are fantastic marketers, fantastic marketers, and in the industries they're in, they can always get new customers easily. So they may want to focus on attracting new customers. Other ones, you know, if you're in a higher end business where bigger ticket items and customers are harder to come by, your focus needs to be on growing your existing customer base, which is kind of where I specialize in. You know, it's maximizing your value of your existing customers, but that's going to give you a different perspective on your business. You're going to have to increase how often they buy, you know, cross sell to them, sell them baskets of items, change your pricing. So you're going to have a different set of levers to get to your end result than another business that has a very easy time attracting new customers. And then when you know what those levers need to look like for your end results, now you just look at the difference and say, okay, that's what I need. I now need customers to buy from me four times a year to get to my end results. I'm simplifying a little bit, whereas right now they're buying from me one and a half times a year. Okay, well, I'm not going to get them from one and a half times a year to four times a year in the next month or two. Maybe it's going to take me a year to three years, but now I have a plan. Yes. You know, what's, I'm all about, you know, when it comes down to analyzing business and, and business intelligence and dashboard and all those things people talk about, the one thing that's really missing is it's really hard for, in a lot of cases, to take action from them. So to yeah. me, it's all about taking action. If I'm at one and a half times now, what's the thing I'm going to do tomorrow that might move me from 1.5 to 1.6 times a year with my customers on average? Yeah. And I'll measure that as I go. And it just, I'll stair step it up the way instead of trying to eat the elephant with one bite, to use the old saying, which is what unfortunately a lot of people try to do. They look and say, I can never achieve that goal. So I'm not even going to try. Give you a little example, if you don't mind. Mm, please. When the book first came out, there was a, a couple that owned a karate school in the US and they loved the book and actually did some one on one consulting with them. And they had their dream lifestyle set out. They knew how much money the business had to provide for them. And when they first came to me, they said, okay, so we need your help because we want to build this to a chain of 10 karate schools 
because we have this big lifestyle aspiration. We wanted to make this much money for us. And it was all fantastic. I said, okay, that's great. But when we worked the process, they actually didn't need even a second location. They actually could fulfill their dream lifestyle goals with the single location they had, just making a few little changes. So here they were about to go out, borrow a bunch of money, increase their risk, try to scale up with this perceived path to getting where they wanted. And when they actually looked at the, the basics of their business and those metrics and where they wanted to get to, it was easy. They realized they had to do just a few minor things and they didn't have to have the risk of buying more facilities and trying to find more locations. Yes, yeah. So it sounds like if step one is, is getting very clear on the end picture and then step two is identifying a path to get there so you've got some, some clear steps. Um, exactly. And that would involve analyzing your data, thinking in terms of with your financial eyes on, looking at the books, mm-hmm. you go, okay, well, what, what needs to happen here? Do you find, is that something that you find business owners are easy to, you know, able to navigate themselves through or because sometimes, you know, when you're stuck in the, the thick of the forest, it's hard to see. That's, you're exactly right. It, it is hard to see. And so the answer to your question is most small and mid-sized business owners, even big business owners really seem to have a hard time making this connection. And I think I'll tell you the reason why I think that is and then what I think the antidote to it is. The reason I think business owners have a hard time getting that perspective is we've been trained to think of balance sheet and profit and loss statement. And we're too busy. And you know, in the life of every small and mid-sized business owner, I know the data and information I need is there somewhere. You know, Maybe it's in my accounting system. Maybe part of it's in my accounting system. Maybe part of it's in my CRM system whether I'm using Infusionsoft, Salesforce, whatever I'm using, Zoho, some of it's there. And I kind of know that I could get the information and reassemble it. And as I'm thinking about that, I start thinking of phoning the next customer, making payroll next week. And I just put that whole analytic side on the back burner. And the easy thing to do is try to just make the next sale. And so because it's, for most business owners, it's hard to assemble that information they need into one spot, which is why I think business owners actually have to, the antidote part of it is build a system to get that information. And it doesn't have to be a high-tech dashboard software tool. I mean, they're out there. I mean, even I do those, but most business owners, they don't have to start with there. You know, a simple spreadsheet with two or three key metrics that a business owner measures every day will take them light years further where they are right now. So, and I feel like, does that kind of move then to step number three? Because you're probably, you're clear on where you want to go. You're now clear on what's the line you're going to take and now it feels like you need to have some sort of measure to make sure that you're then taking the right steps. You're absolutely right because when you have that measure you can do what I call referred to in the book as quick failing. So no one really and there's there's a whole bunch of studies and books written out there no one really knows what's going to make a business succeed right we think as business owners we think we know if we do this this will work or I'll attract more customers. The truth is we're being arrogant and egotistical when we tell ourselves that. We actually don't. So the purpose is once you can start to measure things, you can try out any number of things at almost no risk. So, so if I'm measuring, let's say, you know, who my most efficient customers are, and let me just define that for a second. So think of in any of, any of our businesses, we've got customers who might spend a lot of money with us, so they have high revenue. But what you really, what's really important if you think of your business and being able to produce a better financial results and increase cash flow and increase profit is how efficient a customer is. So if I have a customer that 
if I go in my accounting system and pull a list of how much revenue each of my customers did for me in the last year, I may have a customer that did $50,000 of business with me. Now, on the face of it, that might look good, especially if that's my biggest customer. Efficiency reverse to, well, suppose now that, I'm going to make an extreme example, but suppose that customer did 10,000 transactions with you in a year. So for only $5 every time. And I'm purposely making this ridiculous to, mm. to, to draw the example. But that customer, although a financial statement or your accounting system would say they're a really good customer, from an efficiency perspective, that customer's chewing you up. You probably have most of your overhead, a whole bunch of your staff supporting this customer because they do so much business with you. I've been doing air quotes if you could see me. They do so much business with you, but every transaction is so tiny that you're actually not really making money on that customer. You know, maybe it's a customer down that's, you know, down the list that you're making $15,000 a year on, but only buys twice from you every six months, dependable like that for the last five years. Well, that's a very efficient customer. So if I'm going to market now to try to grow my business, which customer do I want to try to attract more of? The one that's going to instantly fill up all my support and all my overhead and make me jump through hoops for them to do 10,000 transactions a year or the customer like the second version, which will only pay $15,000 a year to me, but it's two transactions. I'll grab 10 of those customers and I can still have more money then and less effort and stress than the $50,000 a year customer. Yeah, it makes but sense. You only get that from measuring and seeing what's going on in your business. So part of the measuring at this point, obviously digging into clients specifically to find out which clients are most profitable and ones that you want to attract in. Are there any other yes. key metrics that you can think of that under this measuring stage in particular that you want to take note on? Yeah, there's, so I mean, obviously who's the most profitable customer, also the most efficient. And you also want to look at the over time, right? So yeah. if you look at it right now, you're going to get a certain answer. But what you really want to look for is, because your business is always moving, how do those numbers move over time? What do they look like six months ago? And are they getting better or worse? Which is how you can measure things going forward. So, you know, if the average transaction in, in a certain industry segment for my business, and a, a company did some work with in Texas, they discovered, the owner would have told me and did tell me that their average transaction size was about $385 US. US dollars. And it was. It was it was pretty much bang on. However, when they looked at their customers by industry, so this is data they had, and they actually drilled into it, two out of 14 industry segments had average transaction sizes close to $2,000 each time. So the minute that business owner realized that, as he told me, he said, well, that actually changed how they ran the business. Because now, if someone phoned in from one of those two industries, they got a lot more attention, even if they were a one-time customer, because they were likely going to buy that much more. It changed where they advertised. Now they were going to advertise in certain industry guides, change what they stocked in inventory because they didn't want to lose a sale to some of those customers. All right. So then I think there's definitely some questions around clients in specific. On this third stage, is that the main area that you really like to focus in on? It is the main area yep. because that then becomes the engine for improving because once I know the now, because again, to my earlier point on quick failing, if I know my average transaction is, I'll use the example of $385 each time and to hit my dream lifestyle target, I know I need that to be $595. What I'm going to do is say, okay, it's all about taking action 
tomorrow when a customer phones in, I'm going to ask them, you know, if I sell lifting supplies and chain and rigging supplies, and I have a customer that phones in tomorrow and orders a sling to lift some heavy thing, maybe I should ask them if they also need chain. It's obvious that that sounds. A lot of times in our businesses, we actually just don't do those little things. So I'm going to try that tomorrow. And lo and behold, when I run my numbers, I can do this at the end of the day tomorrow. Was my average transaction for the day higher than $385? If it was, great. I'm going to keep doing that. So that's that quick feeling. It's like micro tests at the sort of tactical business level that you can already predict your financial results. If I move it from $385 to $400 a transaction and I, I'm measuring that and I know this entire week it was like that, I already know how much more ahead on my profit target I am than it was a month ago or a week ago. So you can actually create a financial result without even looking at your financial statement. You know what you're doing business-wise and performance-wise. Yeah, so this dashboard is then something that you're looking at on a daily basis, weekly basis, or it depends at what point in the process you are? It depends at what point in the process you are, and it also depends on how current your information is. So, I mean, I like to see it daily for most businesses because most businesses nowadays, their accounting records are pretty much daily because they're invoicing out of their system, whether it's QuickBooks, Zero, whatever it is, they're invoicing out of it or they're invoicing out of the CRM so they can get this data daily. You know, weekly would be the absolute minimum because back to the point, if you're trying things out, you need to know what's working and not working as quick as you can because if I try something and my average transaction in my example goes from 385 to 375, I don't want to wait four months to find that out. I want to know at the end of this day or this week because, okay, I won't try that. I'll try something else then, right? I always know what my benchmark was. So if I try an experiment, it's just like we learned in grade six or grade seven science, the scientific method. You build a hypothesis, you create your test, and then you get your conclusion. Business is no different. My hypothesis is if I do this, my average transaction will increase. So I do that and I measure the result. And it either went higher or it went lower. I mean, maybe it stayed the same, but those are the only outcomes. And as because I'm measuring it, I can actually run my business almost risk-free now because I'm, I'm testing it at a, at a quick pace. So I'm not making big bets. I'm not waiting weeks and months to see if the result is there or not. And I know what's working instantly. I think this idea of micro adjustments consistently looking to improve will also then start to have that compounding effect as well because you layer those sorts of insights into your system and process okay now this is the target audience we're targeting and this is our sales process and now we've flagged this as an a client and it gets a deeper more multi-step follow-up process and yeah i can see how that would really start to engineer big change and you might not notice change immediately like all things with systems the magic really happens once you start to compound lots of these little successful changes yes it, it compounds and it also the compound is is very very powerful the other wonderful thing about any system is how it actually frees you up to do the thinking behind it right so in any system if, if without a system you're spending too much time doing instead of letting the system do that work so you can think about what to do next yeah. How does this continue on the process? What's the next step in this process? So the next step, it, it sounds anticlimactic, but you actually just loop through it again because now it's just this, this virtual, and that's the cycle you just repeat over and over. I try things, I measure the result, it's better or worse, and if it's better, I do more of it, and I try another test. And if that other test makes it even better, I 
use that as my new benchmark and I try another test. And I keep circling through it like that until I get from the whatever I said it was, the 385 to the 450 I needed for my dream lifestyle. And you just work it forward like that. Yeah, It's like just stepping step by step. Is there a way that you suggest for capturing these experiments and the results? So, yeah, you can kind of see what you've, you've done or, yeah, have very clear outcomes. Like this is the adjustment I'm making and here's the result. Or is it more the business owner coming up with that key idea and then depending on the size of the team, pushing it through to the relevant team members or themselves? It's a really good question. And I, I like sort of having them document, and I think every business owner should, back to the scientific method example, is here's the tactic I tried. Here's my metrics after it happened. So they actually have this, this, and it can be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be an actual live dashboard that updates. It can be any number of things. But the key is to be able to then say, okay, here's what I tried. Because it also lets you throttle your effort. One of the, the risks of, of getting this system thinking around the financial results is it, it feels very exciting for the, you know, for a lot of business owners for the first time, they kind of understand the finance end of their business. Oh, I, I get it. I know how I can make money now. And the risk is they get so excited and they'll talk to their team and their team gets excited and they start throwing on all these ideas. And then they start trying to try two or three or four things at once. And like anything, if you've ever been in software development or, or anything in, in the systems piece, if you can't measure the result, you don't really know what the driver of that result was. So by documenting it in that way, you can say, oh, great idea. You know what? We can log that in. We're going to try that two weeks from now because next week we're doing this and the week after we're doing this. So your idea will come week three. And you actually put some discipline and rigor around your quick failing so you can always document and pinpoint, right? Here's my results. I tried something. Here was the new result. So you can kind of correlate them. Or otherwise, you just, you're guessing again. It's like, if I try five different marketing things and I can't track any of them, I really don't know what moved my revenue. So I have to do all five again and hope that one of them worked. Yes. Because I'm scared, I'm scared to take any one of, the, of them out now because I don't really know which one's making the results. So again, you, you need to have the same thing when you're creating your financial result. Do you have any suggestions on, because there are loads of different tests that can be run in the business. I think starting mm-hmm. off with, the target audience makes good sense, identifying yep. which one and then narrowing in on the ideal yes. client or prospect. Are there any other ones that you like to start with first on, hey, here are some big tests that you should run to save you yeah. doing through? Because oftentimes, you know, you'll, it's the same when people are thinking about marketing online and they'll, <clears throat> they might start splitting <throat> the color of a button to see what right. gets more clicks rather than testing an appeal like is it the business owner is looking for freedom or are they looking to sell their business or whatever the case may be it's always better to start with appeals first and i'm wondering how this might relate to your situation good question i mean the very first thing i tell any business owner to start with with measuring you know besides those metrics what's my what's my frequency what's the average transaction how many customers do i have is actually look at your customers i describe it as a, as a checkerboard so imagine, take all the products you sell and, and put them in two or three different product groups or four or five, however many you have, and picture all the customer names going down in a row on the left-hand side, and every product category is a column, and basically picture a green box where they bought from you in that category. 
in a red box where they haven't. And you actually get this really fast visual checkerboard and you'll very quickly see in almost any company I've ever seen, it's jaw dropping how few customers actually buy across all product categories. And sometimes there's a good reason for that, right? A company that will buy one thing may not buy another thing. I understand that. But in most businesses, we have different product categories for a reason. They're related to our core business. And so as a whole, if I look at any customer set of customers for any company, as a whole, you would expect to see a fair amount of purchasing between categories. And what happens is the business owner assumes that because the customer likes me, if they need product A, they'll buy it from me. And the reality is they just don't because they either don't think that you'll sell it to them, they don't think of you, or they've been habituated to buy it from somewhere else. And it's literally as easy sometimes as picking up the phone. So it's all about action. Mm. Do a checkerboard like that. So anyone who's listening to this, tomorrow, do a checkerboard in your business, You know, spend the time, look at it, and you'll be shocked. And when you are shocked, look at that and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that Harry, that old dog, or Susan, that old gal, hasn't bought these three things for me. They've been wonderful, and it's literally as easy as picking up the phone or firing off an email saying, Harry or Susie, did you know we're all, you know, I look in it, I see you buy this from us, do you know we also sell these three things? Yes. I mean, that is so simple, and it's so powerful, and it's, you know, I mean, there's a quick win out of the blocks anyone can do within a day of listening to this that can probably increase their revenue, profit, and cash flow by, I mean, I've seen it anywhere as between 40 and 50, 60% in some companies. Yeah, and, it, and, and it's free. There's zero marketing effort required. It's a few phone calls and emails. And we all know the, the cost to acquire a new customer is significantly higher than basically to resell an existing customer. So that makes perfect sense. So that's, I think that's a really good one, you know, as far as suggestions around the target audience and the marketing. Mm-hmm. The second suggestion being around you know, how can we sell more to existing customers. Are there any other sort of low-hanging fruit ones that you just – feel is a win? Another one is, you know, and we hear it all the time, is, is look, at, look at our pricing. I mean, most of us can increase our prices 5 or 10%. Most customers won't even ask. And the ones that do, if we tell them, the reality is most of us don't raise our prices often enough. And I'm guessing, it would be an interesting challenge. I'm guessing we could take listeners to this session and probably go through and probably seven or 10 of them haven't raised their price to their customers within the last, I'm going to guess, 18 months, probably more like two years. And it just seems to be a pattern in most businesses because raising prices is hard. It feels emotionally tough on us as the business owner. The reality is the person that has the biggest problem with most price increases is the business owner themselves. So there's a really low-hanging fruit. I, you know, Raise your prices 5 or 10%. Make a reason because be ready if your customer phones you back and says, why have you raised my price for 10%? Maybe it's as easy as, gee, Steve, you know what? I really haven't raised your prices in the last year and a half. And, you know, our staff costs have gone up. This has gone up. And most customers will be like, yeah, okay, I get it. I was, or some they'll even say, oh, I was wondering when you're going to raise prices. And it sounds so simple, but I'm shocked how many business owners. One of the first questions I ask any business owner I meet is, when's the last time you raised your prices? And shockingly, most of them can't even remember when they've raised them. It's like, ah, maybe three, four years ago where they don't have a plan around it. They go, ah, I'm not really not sure. It's jaw dropping. And mm-hmm. that's free money, right? Because the cost doesn't change at all. If you raise your price 10%, that drops right to your bottom line because your cost structure has not changed at all. Maybe a little bit of commission if you're paying your salespeople on, on top line revenue, but negligible. That is free money. 
That's better than found money. That's free money. Mm-mm. I feel like these little nuggets here, there's definitely a lot of gold in these. So I'm going to keep pressing you pretty much until you go, I don't have any more that rattle off the top of my head. But yeah, another one, because these like, just like the title of your book, they, this is hidden money that is effectively in your business. Just you might not be aware of them and you just need to make some tweaks. So do you have any other mm-hmm. suggestions like this? Those are three really, really easy ones that are, are there for anyone to do right now. Like that information yeah. can come right out of your accounting system. If you want to challenge yourselves a bit more, customer profitability is massive. I say challenge yourselves a bit more because every business owner I talk to about that will push back to me and say, well, wait a minute. I really can't figure out how much I make off a single customer. You know, let, let's say you're all a wholesale distribution company. Well, actually, you, you may not know exactly how much you get from a customer, but you can get pretty darn close. And now, and it takes a little bit of work. And so again, so to challenge yourself, you know what you're selling things for. So maybe you have to go on your price list and have to figure things out and say, well, how much am I buying these widgets for on average? And, you know, making the assumption that that's how much I'm charging or that's how much my cost is and I'll make the difference. But it's a little more work, but it's so worth it because you're going to find that you look at your customers and you think, hmm, Steve's a wonderful customer. He does $20,000 a year with me. But when you actually look at how much he, the business he does with you, it's usually so, so, well, not usually, but sometimes that customer is less profitable, right? Because maybe they're only buying, I'll give you my example. I'm a t-shirt kind of guy. I'm a jean kind of guy. Even when I go to meetings, if I wear a collar shirt, it's probably that's dressy for me. Just the way I am. You know, I've never been a guy that likes wearing suits. I love the look of suits. I've just never been a guy wearing it. So early in my career, when I w- was in working in accounting firms articling and I had to buy suits, I would buy lots of suits, but I actually wasn't a good customer. So if that retailer looked at my sales, yeah, Steve buys quite a bit with us. But what they may not have seen is I was always buying off season. So in the spring, I'd buy my winter suits because they were trying to blow them out then. And in the fall, I would buy my summer suits. So I'd always kind of be off season. I'd always have suits, but I'd always have a kind of off season. So although the revenue was looking good, profitability wasn't really there because I was buying their cheap blowout stuff. Yeah. And they wouldn't have seen that. And, and, and every business is like that. I've seen businesses actually argue with me. So because it's hard, businesses will often, they need help doing it. And in many cases, it ends up being what I end up doing. And business owners will always push back because they won't believe their own numbers. Like, no, there's, that's my best customer. I've had that customer for 10 years, Steve. There's no way that they're amongst my least profitable. And it, it's always fun and it's painful in a way because you know, I'm often, it's like breaking up a marriage in some ways, right? I'm the bad guy saying, well, yeah, but it's not a good relationship you have because they're not paying you enough for you to make profit. But it, it changes your whole perspective because most of us, most customers that you know, are good customers that have a lot of revenue with it are pretty demanding. In many cases, shaped our business around them. We cater to them. Everyone knows, oh, when Steve phones, he's a good customer. So yeah, you jump to it and everything. And so we end up building, building these hidden overhead pockets or cost of servicing some of these customers and that we actually put more effort into them than we need. And so we have these hidden overhead structures in our companies tailored to certain customers or customer segments. And we don't see it until we look at the profitability side of the business at a customer level. You can do it at a product level too. See, and now I'm going to geek out. So that's the customer side. Yeah. You can look at the product side too, right? Or, or product mix is another big thing business owners should look at. That's an easy one as well. I talk about something called product mix migration. And most businesses, if you look at their P&L over the last three years or last five years, 
most of them you'll see their gross profit is it's moving around. Usually it's sliding. And so the common scenario is a business owner will look and say, oh, look, my gross profit is sliding. And gross profit, if anyone doesn't know who's listening, it, it's the sales or the revenue you sell something for, less your direct costs. So it's what, you, what it costs you to make that so you can sell it. So if I sell something for 1000 and it costs me $500 in time and materials and labor to make, my gross profit is 1000 minus 500 so $500. And what happens is on a profit and loss, you'll often see gross profit three years ago was 52%, then two years ago was 49 now and last year was 47 And when we ask the business owner why, they'll often say, ooh, tough economy, tough competitors, demanding customers, my suppliers keep raising the cost and I can't pass it on. And all of those may be true, but I can honestly tell you 90% of the time, those are factors, but they're not the reasons. What most often causes the change to someone's gross profit when you see it happening year after year in a profit and loss statement is a sales mix migration. What that is, suppose three years ago, I was selling a lot more of product A and a lot less of product C. And now my business has switched because maybe I've changed how I market and my, how I advertise, nothing wrong with it, but maybe now I'm attracting customers to buy a lot more of product C. So my revenue may not move. I could have had the same top-line revenue in those three years, but if I'm making less at a product level on product C, that's actually going to mess with my gross profit, and I'm going to think it's a cost issue. So I'm going to say to my suppliers, can you give me better pricing? And they're going to say, well, we can't. We're already giving you good pricing. And the scary thing is I'll miss it every time as a business owner because I'll look at that and I'll be like, ah, oh, I'll blame it on the economy. I'll blame it on the government. I'll blame it on competition. In reality, it was me not actually drilling into my business and looking at the profitability of each product and looking at the product mix so I couldn't diagnose it myself. Mm. And I've seen, business, I've seen business go for years that way. And, and the economy is always a factor. Competition, always a factor. Demanding customers, always a factor. But what's not okay is to use those as crutches for not drilling into your own data and actually analyzing it and getting the answer for yourself. If you analyze it and those are the causes, Kate, you have my sympathy. But most cases, business owners use those as fallback positions and excuses for not doing the hard work of actually finding out why that's happening. It's almost like, because you've identified you know, a good number of tests that someone can be running and having a look in specifically parts of their business to, to make this really easy for someone to run with. Do you have an idea on yeah, where they should start as far as, is this something that, you know, I know we're monitoring the dashboard, let's say daily, and we're looking at what the changes are, but maybe it's a case of, right, once a month, we're going to run one of these significant tests. Or, yeah, do you have any sort of suggestion on, on that cadence? And it's going to vary depending on business and bandwidth mm -hmm. and a bunch of different factors, but a starting point's always helpful. I still try to go to a weekly cadence for yeah. most of these because once you've drilled in and got the date information and know your sales mix or know your product mix or know your transaction and know your customer profitability, that weekly cadence just seems to work because it gives me, you know what, on a Monday I can come up with what I'm going to test. I can test it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, measure the results the following Monday. I can see the results and I can come up with my next answer. And again, that can, depends on businesses. You know, maybe a week is too fast of a cadence, so stretch it to two weeks. A month would be maximum, 
Yep. But you know, a, a month, I guess, two weeks, I would say, would be both the furthest. A month makes me feel a little nervous because part of doing this is minimizing your risk as well. If you try it, the best way to succeed at this is being bold. And the way you can be bold and confident as a business owner is by knowing that no matter how bad the test is, it's not going to really take a lot of performance away from me. Yes. And a month out, you know, suppose I was doing pay-per-click and if I didn't check anything for a month, I can actually spend way more money than I ever planned on and not, not get the results. This is kind of like that. So that's kind of why I always push for that weekly cadence. Because suppose I thought it was a great idea and it turns out my transaction, average transaction went from 385 to 200. If that, if that went on for a whole week, it stings, but it's not going to crater the ship. That goes on yeah. for a whole month. For a lot of business owners, that would be a tough hole to dig out of. So the monthly scares me a little bit as far as cadencing. I find when you shine the light on using dashboarding and the metrics and the analytics, just like my product mix example, you know, where it's maybe a little harsh about blaming the economy and competitors. I find that it's too easy as business owners because this is a really hard thing for most business owners to do because we're so busy and it, it's foreign and it feels alien to us and we're, we're not data people for the most part and it's, you know, it's hard to come to this way of thinking. And so the reality is it's so hard in many cases, it's easier to make the excuse. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to, you know what, I can't sustain a weekly cadence, so I'm going to go monthly. But by doing that, I can't take this bold, so I'm just going to, maybe phone more customers. So it actually waters down the boldness of the effort we're taking. So by keeping ourselves, it's like going to the gym every day versus going to the gym once a week. It's like, well, yeah. the discipline of going daily changes somebody. The discipline of going once a week, yeah, you're better than if you never went, but you don't get the really good results. Yeah. And it would make sense. I mean, this is the type of thing that you get a calendar, you make a time with your bookkeeper because getting them involved in the numbers and having that discussion, deciding on what that test's going to be. And then it's really about getting it into the calendar and then making it uh, <coughs> repeatable and consistent. I feel like we've covered a good amount. Are there any final things you want to mention with regards to this system? I feel like we've gone through the process. We've given some clear tests on where people can get started. Yeah. I mean, I guess my only, only final thought is doing anything is infinitely better than doing nothing. So, you know, even though there's some good ideas here I've given people, even if, you know, if any of it sounds like too much or it's overwhelming, all someone has to do is just pick one. Just say, you know what, I'm just going to do that checkerboard thing Steve talked about. Just yeah. do that and make it easier. Okay, don't worry about Steve talked about frequency, he talked about profitability, he talked about customers. You know what, just listen to this again, pick one of them. Because yeah. if you're not doing it now, just looking at one of those, it changes how you think. It's like the old saying, right? What you measure gets managed. Yeah. No different. You do the checkerboard for yourself, for your customers, you're instantly going to start thinking of all of them differently. And the next customer that comes in, you're going to find yourself subconsciously or actually consciously, you're going to be picturing that checkerboard as you're talking to them. Be like, oh, yeah, I bet they also need this. Let me ask them. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <clears throat> um, in your book, I'm imagining that's also a great place for them to go to get more ideas. It is, yep. Got ideas in there, there's worksheets in there, um, and they can get, you know, they get the worksheets on the website as well, so they can go yep. and um, download them for free there, so. So, if people want to find out more about your work, Steve, you, yeah, what's the best place to point them then? Best place to point them is, uh, it's, it's foundmoneydashboard.com is yep. the website, and that's where they can get, you know, links to the book. The book's on Amazon, it's in bookstores as well. They can download 
you know, so a lot of these worksheets I talked about, it's, you know, it doesn't always have to be a fancy electronic dashboard. Sometimes just a manual worksheet does it for most business owners. Because again, it's all about starting versus not starting. So you can download some worksheets, get all started, and really, really try to, you know, just take that first step. Take that for, I know it sounds almost trite saying it that way, but really that is what it is for most business owners. Just pick something and start measuring it. Well, a big thank you, Steve, for your time, insight, sharing the system. And yeah, I'll put all the links beneath this particular session so people can head back to your website and find out more about your work. But uh, yeah, big thank you. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. It was exciting to be here. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.